Colossians chapter 3, um, I was thinking this week uh, that I am not as young as I used to be. And everyone has a moment in their life when they realize I'm not a young man or I'm not a young woman anymore. And I don't know what that moment was for you, what told you that you're not a young person anymore. But for me, it was the moment that I began buying my clothes at the same spot I buy my groceries. I have become a fan of Costco clothing. I'm not ashamed to say it. My wife may be ashamed of me right now, but I'm not ashamed to say it. I found myself one day wandering through Costco and needed to cut across. You know, they have kind of food on one side and other stuff on the other. I needed to cut across. I went through the men's clothing section and I stopped and said, huh, this stuff's pretty cool. And then I realized, huh, I'm not very cool at all. Um, and so uh, about a year ago, I, I bought a, a pair of pants that I thought looked neat at Costco, and, uh, but they were out of season, uh, and so they, they, it was, uh, they were long pants, uh, but I bought them in the summertime, and so my plan was to wear them when, when winter rolled around, and I, I had stuck them in my closet uh, on a shelf underneath a bunch of other clothes, and I completely forgot they were there. I just completely forgot, and that was my second clue that I was getting old. I completely forgot about a, a purchase that I was very excited about, excited to show off and kind of strut my stuff a little bit, and uh, completely forgot the pants were there. And I didn't discover, uh, rediscover those pants until we moved, you know, a, few, uh, a couple months ago. We moved down here, unpacking the closet and piling stuff up, and I found these brand new pair of pants, tags still on them, and I go, oh, I remember these. This is great. And th- this kind of lapse that I had, uh, is, it's maybe humorous, but it, it's indicative of kind of this forgetfulness that we have a tendency to have, that I have a tendency to have. And I think in our spiritual life too, there can be a bit of a forgetfulness that happens. There can be a a losing track, a a forgetting uh, what's actually happened to us or what we've done or what's been done for us. And this text this morning where we're going to be, Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4, has a lot to do with our spiritual forgetfulness. Our spiritual forgetfulness, where we have a habit of forgetting what's new about us, who we are, and what's been done for us. And so as we dive into our text this morning with that as an introduction, I want to see if the Apostle Paul doesn't have something to say to us about how we can remember who we are and how that may change how we live and might lead to ultimately a better life for us. And so if you're a note taker this morning, the main idea of our sermon today is that new life leads to new thinking. New life leads to new thinking. So let's read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you as we sang in that song before. We thank you for the blood applied to our hearts and make us new, make us clean before you, make us righteous before you. The miracle of the new birth that takes sinful people and makes them righteous in your eyes. We're grateful for that this morning. And Lord, as we dive into your word today, I pray that you would encourage us with it. I pray that you would remind us with it, who you are, what you've done, who we were, where we've been, and where we're headed as Christians. And that reminder may spur us on to live in the way that you've called us to live so that all the world may see who you are and what you've done. So guide our time today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Paul opens this passage in, in, in chapter 3, verse 1, by saying, if then you have been raised with Christ. That's kind of how he, it's an if-then statement, right? So if what I've already said is true, then he's going to say some stuff, right? And so this if-then you have been raised with Christ is a way to summarize all that we've said in Colossians thus far in the first two chapters, and which is basically that Jesus is over and above all things in heaven and on earth. And that this supreme Jesus reconciled to himself sinners like you and me through the blood of the cross. And then once that reconciliation takes place, our task as believers is to keep our lives centered on Jesus and to keep our lives focused on Jesus. And as we do that, as we keep Jesus at the center of our lives, we'll grow into mature, stable disciples of Christ who ultimately go the distance in our faith. And so Paul uh, says, hey, here's the, the, the starting point is if you've been raised with Christ, if this is true of you, if you are a new person in Christ, then you are united with Jesus, he says. And this idea of being united with Christ is central to, to the New Testament, central to Paul's writings for sure, central to this book of Colossians. And he says, you've been united with Jesus. And what that means for you and what that means for me is that Jesus's story is our story. If you're a Christian, Jesus's story is our story. Let me show you what I mean by that. Paul, throughout this, these four verses we read this morning, shows us that the very steps that Jesus took to redeem us and, and show himself Lord over the universe are the same steps that we take because we're attached to him or we're united in him. Verse 3 says that, for you have died. And so we see that just as Jesus died, so did we die. Our old man, our old self has died, been put to death in Jesus. We talked about that in chapter 2 quite a bit. He says that Jesus rose from the dead, and so did we. Verse 1, he says, you have been raised with Christ. So that what's true of Jesus, that he's been raised from the dead, is also true of us. We've been raised from the dead. The old man is dead. The new man has come. Then it says that Jesus has ascended into heaven, and so too we, our life, is attached to Jesus, and therefore our life is in heaven. Verse 3 says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where is Christ? He's seated at the right hand of the Father this very moment. And there's one final step in the culmination of all of these things, that Jesus is going to return. Jesus is coming back. Jesus' Jesus's appearance on earth was not a one-time event. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And he says, I'm coming back to get you. And for us as Christians, if we are attached to Jesus, if we are united with Christ, if he is in us and we're in him, that means we too are coming back. And he says that in verse 4. He says, you also will appear with Christ. This is incredible to think about. In the second coming, we get all wrapped up in Jesus coming on his white horse and just making everything new and awesome. Jesus says, I'm bringing an army with, it, with me, and it's us that's going to return to earth to make everything right and new and good in the world. And so this is your story, church family. If you have put your faith in Jesus for your forgiveness of sins and decided to follow him with your life, this story arc belongs to you. And the problem, though, that I've found is that many of us, myself very much included, forget sometimes that that's our story, don't we? We forget these truths about ourselves that maybe you already knew. This isn't news to you today. For the past, uh, I don't know, five, six weeks that uh, I've been here, uh, I've had somewhere around 50 meetings or events or gatherings 
uh, with people in this church, uh, with people outside of this church, other pastors and ministry leaders, to try to get my head around kind of where we are as a faith family and what this community is like, just trying to learn in this season. And in those 50 or so meetings, I've asked tons of people, many of you, tell me about yourself. Tell me your story, I might have said. And what do I hear back? I hear back, well, I was born in such and such a place. I uh, went to school at such and such a thing. I got this job, met this spouse, had these kids, moved this place. If you're in the Navy, you told me about 17 moves you did. And then, you know, that's just kind of, that's the story I get. And that's what I'm asking for. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what I'm looking for. It's to get to know your history and story. The problem is when we tell our story like that, we're missing the highlights of our story. Because the reality is if you're in Christ, your story is this. I was dead. I was made alive. I'm seated with Christ, and I'm coming again with him. That's your story as a Christian. You see, who you are in Christ is the defining truth about you. And so the question that prompts me to ask of us this morning, of myself and of, of you, is this. Again, I ask, who are you? If I were to ask you this morning, who are you? Tell me your story. Who are you? What's your identity? Maybe it would be another way of asking that. Maybe some of you in this room would say, well, I'm a mom. That's who I am, right? That's what, that's what drives me. That's what defines me. Someone asks how things are going. You're straight to all the stuff you've got to do as a mom, right? You've got your back-to-school checklist. You're shopping. You're, you're mom's taxi service. You're getting them to soccer practice, and you're just cleaning up, and you're doing all the stuff, and just it's, it's kids, 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 mom. I, that's who I am. I'm a mom. All the things, right? Anybody resonate with that, right? This time of year is crazy for moms. Maybe if I ask some, of other, some others in this room, who are you? There might be some that say, well, I'm a, I'm a business owner, I'm an employee, or I'm an executive at this or that or the other. And you might launch into telling me about your P&L statements or about growth and staffing issues, management stuff you're dealing with, the latest problem that you've had to solve at your company, and you'll walk me through all of that when I ask who you are. Just so you know that I'm not exempt for this, not picking on anybody. Pastors are very much susceptible to this struggle, Right? If I'm operating out of my identity as a pastor and not as a Christian or a child of God, I might launch into telling you about the church and the health of the church and how we're growing and how many baptisms we've had and how this going and how that's going and all the stuff that we're doing, how many reams of paper we gave to Lone Star Elementary. I just launch into all the stats, right? My identity is tied to those things. Here's the problem. When your identity comes from earthly things, all of your joy peace, and stability are attached to those things. And your contentment will come from your performance. And so if your identity is, I'm a mom, your joy will be directly connected to how good you are at being a mom. And while there's tons of good moms in this room, there aren't any perfect moms in this room. You guys don't crush it every single day. Some days you just survive, right? Some days you just throw a snack at them and go in the other room and just say, I need a minute. That's fine. But then that mom guilt creeps in, doesn't it? You feel bad, like you're not good enough, you're not doing enough. You saw on Instagram some super mom who was like amazing, and she's lying, but you, she made you feel bad about yourself. So your world's crushed because you feel like you're not living up because your identity is directly connected to your performance. If your identity is I'm a business owner, then your peace will be directly connected to the performance of your company, won't it? You have a great month financially, Man, I'm killing it. I am awesome because the company is awesome. You have a bad month and everything is awful. You string together six bad months, the sky is falling. It's a real thing that happens for many people when our identity is attached to what we do. 
You see how precarious it is for us, church, if we find our identity in the things of this world, but if we find our identity in our union with Christ, our binding to Jesus, the peace and the joy and the stability that comes from that, it's game-changing. It changes everything for us. Who are you? You were dead, buried, resurrected, ascended, seated, and returning with Jesus. If your identity is in Christ, then your peace and joy is directly connected to Jesus's performance. Let me tell you, he always lives up to the standard, doesn't he? He's always there. He's always good. He's always kind. He's always loving. He's always there for you. And so I don't know about you, but I don't measure up enough to base my identity in anything but Christ. So the call for us this morning is to attach ourselves to Jesus and let how we live flow out of our identity in Christ and let his performance speak for us. Because we get all out of sorts when we forget who we are and then therefore forget how to live. There's a transition that happens for every, um, it only happens for the guys it seems like, but when you get married, like the guy has to change, right? Have you guys noticed this? The woman doesn't change. She's perfect. The guy has to change. And Taylor and I went through a similar experience when I transitioned from bachelor life to married life. Uh, when Taylor and I were dating and engaged, I lived with two other guys in an apartment uh, near campus, and it was a disaster area. Total pigsty, nuclear waste in the kitchen. I mean, it was just, just awful, right? Uh, dishes uh, were not a priority. How you knew it was time to do the dishes was because you were out of the ones in the cupboard and they were all in the sink, dirty, right? And that's when you finally had to, whoever is kind of like luck of the draw, whoever got dirtied the last dish had to do the dishes. Disgusting. Laundry, nobody knows what laundry is. You go months without doing laundry, right? You just basically, you do the sniff test. You guys remember this from your bachelor days? Pick something up off the floor. Nope, not that one. It is gross, but that's dudes. It is what it is. You grab something else, go, this'll pass, and you go, right? And God, in his humor, puts you together with a woman and says, live together with no training. (laughs) And so there's some times early in our marriage where the dirty clothes didn't hit the hamper. Instead, they hit the floor or the dishes didn't get put away or the dishwasher not unloaded or whatever. And there's an adjustment that has to happen. And there was some friction, right, in those early days of marriage based on my living out of alignment with my new identity as a married man. I was kind of living out of this old version of me, still with these old habits, this old approach to life, but I had a new identity as a married person, and that caused friction and trouble, and thankfully I've solved all that. Taylor lives in marital bliss now. Um, (laughs) Only the ladies laughed at that one. Which is a funny illustration, but if you think about kind of our spiritual lives, there is a sense when there is a friction and a, and a difficulty to life when we're not living how we're supposed to, when we're out of sorts, when we have kind of stepped out of how God's called us to live. And we've got our identity wrong, things go haywire. I wonder if maybe anyone here today feels a lack of peace or a lack of joy or a lack of satisfaction in life. I wonder if maybe the reason is because you're living out of an earthly identity instead of your heavenly identity. In John chapter 10, Jesus talking to uh, his disciples says, the, the thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he says, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. This is the promise of Jesus. You're going to have abundant life in Christ. I think a lot of times we don't have this abundant life he's promised because we're not living in Christ. We're living in our old selves. 
What does it mean by abundant life? It means the God, the life that God intends for us to live. The reality is living out of our Christian identity is the best way to live. It's not just the Christian way to live. It's good for us. It's good for the Lord. It's good for other people. The life lived out of union with Christ is the most glorifying life you can live to God. When we make our identity in Christ the driving force in our life, we live a life worthy of the Lord. What's more, a life lived out of our identity in Christ is the most fulfilling to us. It's the most satisfying to our hearts to live that way. Living in alignment with your true self brings fulfillment and peace to your life. When we live out of balance or outside of who we are, it's disorienting. Augustine, the famous theologian, says this. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I think it's a compelling quote to think about how God's made us. We're never quite settled until we find ourselves in Christ. The life lived out of our union with Christ is also it's the most beneficial to other people. I'm my best when I'm walking with Jesus. I'm the best husband I can be when I'm close to the Lord. I'm the best father I can be when I'm walking closely with Jesus. I'm the best pastor I could ever be when I'm walking closely with the Lord. And the same is true for you. The best whatever you are, whatever you do, whatever God's called you to in this life, you will be the best version of that if you do it from your identity in Christ. So do you want to honor God with your life? Do you want to live a life fulfilled, peaceful? Do you want to be the best version of yourself, if you will, for those around you? You could read some self-help books. That's an option. Or you could live your life out of your identity in Christ. Now, new life, we've said, it leads to new living. And so let's don't keep living the old way that wasn't good enough, that doesn't work, that leads to death and destruction. Let's instead live the new life attached to Jesus. All right, so you're saying, I get it, right? What do I do? All right, how do I do that? How, do I, how does this work itself out practically? I need to make who I am in Christ the most important thing about me, Pastor. Okay, then how do I do that? I'm glad you asked. You need a new mindset, and this is what Paul's talking about here. We need a new mindset. In order for new life to lead to new living, it requires new thinking. Verse 2 says, set your minds on the things that are above, not the things of earth. You have a choice. I have a choice. We all have a choice in where we put our mind, how we think, where we set our mind. And Paul says, I want you to choose heavenly things for your mind. I want your mindset to be heavenly matters. Just as our identity is no longer an earthly one, but a heavenly one, so too must our thinking move from earthly to heavenly. Now, there's a lot to that, but this morning I want to talk about two ways that our mindset must be heavenly. First, we've got to be intentional with our thinking, and second, we've got to be Christian in our thinking. See, Paul makes this distinction between earthly thinking and heavenly thinking. Earthly thinking, for example, it puts me at the center of the universe. It makes me the center of everything, but heavenly thinking makes Jesus the center of the universe. That's what all of, or most of chapter one of Colossians is about, Jesus being the center of the universe. Earthly thinking, it lets the world around me define my values and priorities. Heavenly thinking says, Jesus, you define my values and my priorities. Earthly thinking sees this life as the ultimate, as the pinnacle, as the, the top. This is it. Let's get all we can out of this life. Heavenly thinking says, no, 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 no. This life is preparation for the good life that's coming. We go on and on with this, and in many ways, heavenly thinking, what you'll find is the exact opposite of worldly thinking, of earthly thinking, isn't it? 
This is why the Sermon on the Mount, if you've read that in, in the Gospels, is so profound, because Jesus takes conventional wisdom, how people usually think about the world, and he says, no, 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 in the kingdom, it's opposite. He flips it all on its head. It blew people's mind when he said it, and it blows our mind now because it's hard to live out in the life that we have today. So a new mindset, church, is going to require intentionality. If we're going to live with a new mindset, we're going to have to be intentional about it. We're not going to begin thinking like Jesus on accident. Our minds aren't going to drift to heavenly things without some work. A couple ways that we can be intentional on our mindset. One, we can start by beginning our day with the Lord. We can start by beginning our day with God. Every day when you wake up, you have a choice to make. And that choice is this. What is going to get my attention? What's going to get my attention? For many of us, what gets our attention in the morning is what had it when we went to sleep the night before. We wake up thinking about the problems and issues and stressors and difficulties that we're facing, and we just jump right back into them the same way we did when we had trouble sleeping the night before. Others of us, we have a bad habit of letting this device decide what we're going to think about in the morning. We reach over and grab it because we use it as our alarm probably, and we turn the alarm off, and then we turn on social media or our email or something like that and let it, those things tell us what we're going to give our attention to and our focus to in the morning. I would contend that's not a good way to start our day. I'm not saying I'm not guilty of it from time to time, but it's not a good way to start our day. Now I wonder, instead of our mind wandering aimlessly in the morning, if we just, instead of just letting it go wherever it might go, I wonder what might happen if we determined and resolved and decided to focus our attention on Christ when we began our day. There's an author, Justin Whitmull Early. He has a few books. I commend them all to you. And he writes about how to build godly habits in your life, how to, how to build godly rhythms and routines in your life. I saw him recently say that the number one habit he advocates for today, the number one, the most important thing, is a rule that he calls Scripture before phone. I don't need to explain it to you, do I? Right? It's very simple, but he says that the, the, the thing he champions right now in this age that we live in is before you pick up your phone or turn on your TV or whatever device or screen it is that you're addicted to like I am, before you do that, meet God in his word. Meet God in his word. Let God have the first word in your life each day. Hear what he might have to say to you instead of what our culture or the news might have to say to you each day. And just a simple step has the power to transform your day, change the trajectory of everything you'll do that day if we'll just be intentional with our mind, with our thinking. I wonder what would happen if we became people resolved to let God set our course before anything else does. Whether you have a trouble with your phone in the morning or you don't, some of you, I'm sure, do not have trouble with this, and that's fine, but wherever you are, can I encourage you to make spending time with God a priority each morning. Spend, make spending time with God a priority each morning. I'm not asking you to become a monk and spend uh, you know, two hours each day in prayer, you know, sitting silently in a dark room. That's not what I'm asking. I'm just asking you to give God pride of place in your life. Give him a few minutes. If you are giving him zero minutes in the morning, I want you to start tomorrow by giving him five. Right? And if you've got the habit of, of giving him just a few minutes, maybe you read a devotional or something, let's just stretch a little bit and give God more of a voice into our hearts. Let's let him speak to us through his word. Let's let us talk to him about what's going on in our hearts, those worries and troubles and stresses that you've got. You know what a good place to take those? The Lord. 
Let's start our day by going to him. I've heard people say, you know, I, I prefer to do my quiet time, Christians will call it sometimes, or my time with the Lord. I, I prefer to do that in the evenings. I prefer to do it on my lunch break. I'm more awake then. It works better. That's fine. Number one, coffee exists, and so you could try that. I'm not advocating for caffeine abuse, but it's nice. But I will say this. There's, there's something unique, and I, and I would not go so far as to say this is a, a rule in the Scripture. The Scripture does not say you must have a quiet time in the morning. Uh, I will say that the Bible does say that Jesus rose early to go and pray. And if Jesus needed time with the Father before he began his day, man, I bet you and I do too, don't we? So let's take a small step. I'm not asking for Herculean efforts here, just a small step towards God each morning and set our mind on Jesus as we begin our day. And then the challenge becomes keeping that heavenly mindset throughout the day. Because this world we live in has a way of beating us up, doesn't it? It has a way of sidetracking us. It has a way of, of casting our minds off of heavenly things and onto things that don't matter one bit, but we get tricked into thinking they're a big deal. We live in a world that does everything it can to keep our minds off of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about this idea of taking every thought captive to Jesus. And he's talking kind of in the, in the context of spiritual warfare around uh, arguments for the faith and that kind of stuff. But the, the concept, I think, is extremely valuable of just being intentional with your thought life. You control your mind, church. Your mind does not control you. You get to decide what gets your focus. You get to decide what gets your attention. You get to decide how thoughts linger in your mind and what thoughts get to stay and what thoughts have to go. We control those things. And Paul says, hey, I want to encourage you to be in control of your thought life. When it gets sidetracked throughout the day, bring it back. He says in another place, he encourages people to pray without ceasing. Have you heard that verse before? Paul says, pray without ceasing. How do you do that? I don't think he means just sit constantly and don't do anything all day but pray. But what I do think he means is have a posture of prayer throughout your day. Be cognizant of the fact that you are in relationship with God as you go throughout your day and that he is accessible at any moment, at any time, and you should take advantage of that. So the moments you have that you transition throughout your days, you transition from the house to the car. Lord, would you get me there safely? Keep my mind focused on you for this drive. You transition from the car into your job. Lord, would you help me work as unto you today? As you transition into your lunch break, say, Lord, help me to rest and recover so I can focus in the second half of the day. Would you give me a gospel opportunity in the second part of our day? As you transition from home or from work to home, Lord, help me to be a great father or mother to my kids as I step in. I'm tired. I don't feel like I have what it takes, but would you help me? What, what would it look like in our lives if we lived in this posture of prayer throughout the day? I think it might keep our minds in a heavenly mindset. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to think like Christians, church. We've got to think Christianly about our lives. The Bible has to be our lens through which we see the world. Everyone has a lens through which they see the world. All of us do. You can't, you can't avoid it. And it colors and frames how we interpret what we've seen. Fishermen, they often use polarized sunglasses when they go fishing. And they do this for a reason. The, the polarization in the glasses, it reduces the glare on the water and helps them see better. It doesn't blind them. But it also has the added advantage of helping you see further into the water. And if you're looking for places to fish, it can be very advantageous. In a similar way, God's word helps us understand our lives correctly and see our world more clearly. And so a simple question you can ask to help you learn to use the Bible as a lens is this. Is, here's the question. How does God's word help me understand this? 
How does God's word help me understand this? Filtering everything in our lives through scripture brings clarity to it. And if we're going to have a heavenly mindset, we need that gospel clarity to our lives. Why does the world seem to be getting weirder and weirder? Has anybody else noticed that? The Bible tells us it's always been weird. It's always been off track. It's always been destined for destruction. And it's never going to feel right until Jesus returns. So if you feel like you don't fit in the world, the Bible helps you understand why that is. Why does this person treat me so terribly no matter what I do, no matter how kind I am to them? The Bible helps you answer that question, doesn't it? It tells you that everyone is born with a sin nature, a bent towards evil and wickedness. And then unless they're redeemed by Christ, that's never going to change. Why, Lord, even though I try to do the right thing, I always do what's my, my, my best and I try to honor you and serve you with my life, why does life always seem to bring, bring pain and heartache and difficulty? Why? The Bible helps you answer that question. It tells us that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And that this is a fallen world that is aching for the day when Jesus is going to return and make it new. There's not a situation in your life that the Bible doesn't help you understand more clearly. And so if we're going to be heavenly-minded people, we've got to be Bible-minded people. A heavenly mindset helps us reimagine where God has us in this life. It helps us re-see or refocus on our calling and re-engage what God's called us to do. A middle schooler or a high schooler with a heavenly mindset, they don't see their school as a place where they go to fit in. They see their school as a place where they go to exalt Jesus. No longer do you think about your peers and hope they might say something nice to you, students. Now you see your peers and say, I've got something eternal to say to you. It changes everything. College students, all of a sudden college becomes not about finding out who you are in life or what you're going to get out of life or what you're going to do with life, but instead it becomes boldly living for the one who has your life. Maybe you're an adult, but you don't have kids yet, right? And this is the fun part of life. This is supposed to be the fun season. Travel the world. Game all the experiences that you can. A heavenly-minded person, heavenly-minded person goes... I don't, I don't want to just get all I can out of this life. I want to live all I can for the giver of life. Heavenly-minded parents say, my task isn't to make our kids successful, but to make our kids disciples. Empty nesters don't look at this life stage and go, man, I get to finally enjoy some time for myself. Empty nesters go, no, Lord, you've given me more time for others. I can invest in others. Seniors Heavenly-minded seniors don't go, man, God's finally done with me. I'm going to let the next generation take this thing. No, heavenly-minded seniors go, now, as I approach the finish line, I'm going to invest all I can in the next generation. Do you see how having a, a heavenly mindset reframes and changes everything about what God's called you to do? We've said new life leads to new living, and new living requires new thinking, and everything in this world is set against keeping our mind heavenward. But I want to beg us, church. I want to encourage you. I'm encouraging myself. I'm preaching this to me as much as anyone else. Let's be people doggedly committed to living out of our identity in Christ, to keeping our mind focused on Jesus. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash fans here? He sang a song about people who are so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. 
And he's talking about people who don't live out their faith, and so he's making a point in that song, and that's fine. But I'd contend that the only way to be any earthly good is to be heavenly-minded people. And so let's review as we close. Here's what we've said today. Our new life in Christ means a new way of living for us. And that new way of living, it flows out of our identity as people attached or united with Jesus. Remembering that his story is now our story and it's the truest thing about us. And this new way of living requires a new way of thinking, a heavenly mindset where our thoughts are guided by Christ and where scripture is the way we interpret the world around us. And so some action items as we close. And the first one is the most important one is this. It's be sure that you're in Christ. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, we read it. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. That if is a big if. None of what I've said here matters today if you are not a follower of Jesus. If you haven't turned from your sins and put your faith in Christ for salvation and committed to following him with your life, that's your action item today. Trust Jesus. Give your life over to him. You can't make your life anything anyways. You can't earn your way back to God. You can't make yourself new. You can't make yourself whole. You can't get yourself to heaven where Christ is. Only Jesus can do that. And the only way we become united with Christ is through faith in what he did for us on the cross. So that's action step one. And then, if you're here and you're sure that you're in Christ, that you belong to Jesus, our task today and tomorrow and every day is to live out of our identity in Christ. This means making those truths of who Jesus is and what he's done the most true thing about your life. Having them guide what you do and why you do it. Finding your peace and joy, stability and security in Jesus. And then church, we fight each day to keep our mind fixed on Jesus. We start with Christ. We go throughout the day trying to stay attached to him. We end our day, even I'd recommend, with scripture. And we wake up and we do it again. And if we'll do that, and I'm saying it's easy, but I am saying it's possible. If we'll do this, we'll find our faith to be constant. We'll find our faith to be steady. We'll find ourselves growing and maturing in our faith, becoming more solid in our understanding of who we are and who God is. And the most important thing is our faith will last. We'll make it. We'll be safe and secure to the end, all the way until Jesus returns with us to make everything right again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's in there. Lord, I pray that you would help us to not just talk about it, but to believe it and to do it. Would you help me tomorrow to live out of my identity in Christ, to keep my mind focused on you? Would you help every person within the sound of my voice do the exact same thing, that we would live out of who we are in Christ, what you've done for us, and then we keep our mind focused on those things and let it reframe everything that you've called us to do in life. And a part of that will be living on mission for you, pointing others to the good news of the gospel and helping them find their life in Christ as well. So we thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers even now as you're seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Thank you for the confidence that we can have in you. We ask that you go before us into this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we love you, and we'll see you back here next Sunday.